go. Good morning, church. It's good to see you this morning. Let's try that again. Good morning, church. Nice. We might be fewer in number, but that doesn't mean we have to be weak, right? Right? So, good morning, church. Great to see you this morning. This is the day the Lord has made. We will and be glad in it. Amen? Amen. I, uh, I, I love the fact that we are light today, and it's because those who are not here are out serving on mission. The, the significance of the church is not its seating capacity, but its sending capacity. And today, we have missionaries from our members that are out serving on mission all abroad. We have people, if you just recently came back from, uh, from Trail Days, can I see your hand? Will you just stand and, and just let us thank you for your service? Will you do that? Fantastic. Praise the Lord. Cool. We have a team that's up in Groton, Connecticut. And they are helping, uh, what's the name of the church up there? Somebody help me. That's the one right there. They're they're helping them to build an extra uh, addition to their church. Is that right? They've been there before, but now going back again to help expand. Is that right? I think that's the case. Somebody say that's the case. See, I thought that was the case. I think that is, in fact, the case. This is a church in Groton that actually came to help us to build. They were a recipient of, of uh, Builders for Christ in their efforts, and uh, as that tradition goes, as you're a recipient, you turn around and give. So I know they had a team here. I think we've been up there a few times as well. So uh, that's how the body of Christ works. When we are serving one another, as God intended for us to, none of us go without, and we're all blessed in the process. Amen? Amen. Brian Preston, it is good to see you in church today, my brother. Amen. Singing on this stage, praise team, is, it's very tiring, and, and Brian can tell you that, right? He sang here on a Sunday morning, and I, was it Monday that you ended up in the hospital? Thursday. Well, it, it, it took a while for Anyway, we're glad you're back, brother. We really are glad you're healthy and well. I, uh, I've got a friend who um, <clears throat> lives in Tennessee. We knew him and his family, several members of their family. Uh, when we lived in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, for a period of time. And uh, for much of the last year, he has been on deployment. He is a captain in the Army, leading his men well. He is a lover of Jesus, uh, follows him well. In fact, he's getting ready to change uh, his MOS or whatever you call that in the Army. What do you call that in the Army? MOS? What's that? There you go. So he is changing his to become a chaplain uh, to serve our soldiers. Uh, around the globe, and so uh, I, he's been, again, spent much of the last year in Poland, in fact, on deployment with his men, um, and just saw pictures where yesterday he got home. It was great. It was great to see pictures of him loving his wife and his kids, and those pictures of him being reunited again. They have sacrificed much over the last year, but not as much even as much as they have, as those who have given their all for our country. Freedom isn't free. It's not free indeed. There are those who have given everything so that you and I today can experience the freedoms that we have. We're able to do this today because there are those who have given their lives so that we can have this privilege. 
And so we are, in fact, grateful, not only for those who are currently serving, um, but we're grateful for those whose family members did not come home. Grateful for the sacrifice that you have made, and we grieve with you today. You may have fought alongside of, of uh, a fellow servicemen and women who didn't come home, and we grieve with you today. Those sacrifices are real, and uh, we're grateful. Can we just stop and give God thanks for that one more time? God, we thank you for those who have given their lives so that we can experience the freedoms we have here in this land. Lord, our country is broken. Our country is divided. Our country has a lot of things that are plaguing it today. But even in the midst of all of that, we are a nation that you have truly blessed and poured your favor on, and we're grateful for that. And we know that that came at a great cost. That there are many who have given their lives, their very life, in service to this land. And we pray for their families today. That you be close to them. We pray that you would uh, comfort them and let them know that the death of their loved one was not in vain. And Lord, help us to live in such a way that would honor their sacrifice. We do pray for our servicemen and women that are currently serving around the globe today at this moment. Many deployed and all around the, the globe and away from family and loved ones. <clears throat> and we pray for them as they serve that you grant them safety. Bring them back home to us. Lord, most of all, we thank you for the price that you paid for us, all of us. When we were unlovely, you loved us. You pursued us with your relentless love. You gave your life so that we could be reconciled to you, our creator God. Jesus, thank you for the payment that you paid to redeem and to ransom our souls. Oh, God, help us to... Help us to live in such a way to honor the sacrifice that you made for us. Now, God, as we worship you today, Lord, I pray that you would help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, I pray that you would focus our minds on you. There's so many things that distract us. We multitask. We, we, we're drawn away by the slightest of, of distractions. But God, in this hour, I pray that you would Focus our minds on you. That we can understand what you're saying to us. Open our ears that we can hear you speaking to us through your word. Open our hearts to, to be receptive to, to the seeds of the gospel that you would want to plant within our hearts and that it would spring forth and bear much fruit that would bring honor and glory to you. Oh, God, and give us the faith to believe you, to obey everything you ask of us today in this hour. Thank you, Jesus, for this time. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to grab that bottle of water real quick and not trip on the way. <clears throat> I hope that you guys have had a great week. Have you had a good week? Good. Good, good, good. I've had a good week as well. I've had a good couple of weeks. <clears throat> and in the last couple of weeks, I've had the privilege to be a part of the 
couple of conferences, and quite honestly, I'm still kind of decompressing and processing the things that I've been exposed to and learned. Two weeks ago, I was at an evangelism conference, and that evangelism conference had several speakers who were there and several pastors and church leaders who were there being challenged and reminded again of the importance of the gospel and of our role in sharing the gospel with others. There was a statement that was made that kind of stood out. The statement went along this line. It said that gospel conversions don't happen without gospel conversations. How's that? Gospel conversions don't happen without gospel conversations. I love our pastor. I love our pastor for so many reasons. For the 13 years I've been blessed to call Randy Green my pastor, and more than that, my friend, he has set an example before me and for us of what it means to engage people in gospel conversations. He has done that faithfully. And he's led you to do that. And I look out in this room today and I see so many of you that have followed his example and you too walk alongside of him in proclaiming the good news of Jesus. In some circles in the world that I live in, in ministers, ministry and in, in theology, there are those that throw around this term gospel-centered. Gospel-centered individuals, gospel-centered churches, and it refers to some elements and points of theology, but there was a pastor who was there that was quite a gifted theologian who said, you know, I looked at my church, he pastors a church in Dallas, and he said, I realized that we were not being as evangelistic as we ought to be. And so he redefined for his own purpose, for that of his church, this term gospel-centered. And he said, gospel-centered churches are actually those churches in which all members thereof are actively out sharing the good news of Jesus with everyone that they come in contact with. Oh, that God would make Harvest Fellowship a gospel-centered church in that model. Amen? Amen? May we all take seriously the the, the gift that we've been given of the gospel, that we would steward it well and share it liberally with others. That's what we've been called to, right? Well, that was a couple weeks ago. This past week, I was involved with some leaders and teachers, and we were considering this task or this, yeah, this task, this mandate even, of reconciliation. And today, I want us to consider the ministry of Reconciliation. And through the course of this message today, I'll debrief with you a little bit of the things I picked up and what God was saying to me, and maybe he would use those things to speak to you as well. But take your Bible with me, if you will, and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. I do not have notes for you in your bulletin. Don't have uh, notes on the screen, and so we're going old school today. Somebody say old school. We're going old school, so that means you pull out whatever you have, and you pull out a, pa- uh, a pen or a pencil and you start jotting notes because I'm expecting God to speak to me today. I hope you came expecting God to speak to you. And when God speaks, we certainly need to pay attention, right? Even more so than E.F. Hutton, right? See, I thought that'd get a laugh from a certain number of you in the room today. What, how, did that, how did that commercial go? When E.F. Hutton speaks, everybody listens. Well, hey, God's getting ready to speak to us today from his word. This is his word, not my word. And so let's pay attention to what he says, because what he says is important, and make sure you write that down. I've heard it said that the dullest pencil is better than the sharpest mind. 
Yeah, got a lot of those today. Your Bible should be open, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's dive in. And consider the fact that we have been reconciled to God and given the ministry of reconciliation. Paul writes, from now on, then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to who, church? To us. Therefore... We are ambassadors. Somebody say ambassadors. We are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We just sang a song that says, shout to the north and the south, sing to the east and the west. What is it we sing and we shout? Be reconciled to God. That's what this passage says. Verse 21, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do you see what Jesus did for us? He who knew no sin became sin for us. In fact, he didn't just become sin. He took my sin on his back and yours and yours and yours. And the punishment that you and I deserved, he took in our place. Making possible our reconciliation with God, our creator. When we, the created, have been united, reunited again with our creator, there is everything that God intended. We are in right relationship with him. And we can experience the favor of God in ways that it's impossible if you're not in right relationship with Jesus. Because the relationship was severed, but oh, praise God, he made possible our reconciliation. And he made us ambassadors for him in the process. You and I can walk out of these doors this afternoon. And we can be reminded of the fact that we are leaving as ambassadors of the king. Representing him and his grace and his mercy and his unrelenting love to everyone that we come in contact with. Oh, hallelujah. We have been reconciled to God and given the ministry of reconciliation. Now, that word reconciliation, there's several applications there. First and foremost, we've been reconciled to God, right? 
Second, we've been reconciled. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation to help others to also be reconciled to God. But there's also a third application I want us to think about this morning. We also need to think through what it means to be ministers of reconciliation amongst ourselves. Inside and outside of the body of Christ. And we're going to camp there a little bit today. In fact, that's going to be a lot of our focus today. This second conference I went to, the one this week, was about this whole thing of reconciliation. Let me just go on here because I'm going to get off track and run out of time. So understanding that not only are we reconciled to God, we are ministers of reconciliation to help others to be reconciled to God, we are also ministers of reconciliation helping us to be reconciled with one another inside and outside the body of Christ. I now want us to look at the fact that we're not all the same. Praise the Lord. Amen? Yeah? There's no two of us in this room that look alike. Some of us are taller and some of us are shorter. Some of us are um, like food more and others, others are skinnier. Some of us just eat a whole lot of Chick-fil-A. Isn't that right, Dan? <laughs> Hallelujah for Chick-fil-A. <clears throat> this is what you look like, by the way, when you eat a lot of Chick-fil-A. I'm just saying. It makes you want to go and eat Chick-fil-A, right? Good. Good. Just want to make sure. We're not all alike. And that's by God's design. It's God's design that he reflect who he is to us so that we can know him for who he is. And God has created diversity. When you look in creation, you look out that window, out that window, and you see the trees. Even the trees are different. The flowers are different. The terrain is different. Things are different. Even in humanity, we see the diversity of God and how he created cultures. I'm not going to read the the passage, but if you consider Genesis chapter 11, it was God who created diversity of cultures at the Tower of Babel. When God created Adam and Eve, he told them to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth, right? After they sinned and they were kicked out of the garden, he reminded them again of his commission to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. In fact, several times God came back to that very command. You see, I, I believe that that command to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth is kind of related to the Great Commission, which we're going to study a little bit later, but it simply says to go out and make disciples of all nations. Not just a few, not just where we are, not just those who are like us, but all nations. God is a creator of cultures. You see, the people of Israel, they, they didn't get that. They thought that they were just more special than anybody. And, and, and they, they all gathered right here. Instead of scattering as God told them, they said, we'll, we'll gather, we'll build this big city, and, and it'll be the, center, the central hub of our, of, our, of our existence, and it'll kind of hold us together. And God said, no, that wasn't my plan. Until that time, everybody spoke the same language, kind of had the same culture. And God said, no, that wasn't my plan. So at Babel, he confused their languages. In fact, he created 
languages and cultures and they spread then throughout the earth as God had originally intended. Differences in cultures aren't God's plan B. It was God's design all along. It just took him interacting with man when they were rebellious and not following his plan. God was a creator of cultures. Diversity of peoples is not God's plan B. Rather, it has been his plan from eternity past to spend eternity with a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language. How do I know that? The book of Revelation. Turn there with me, if you will. Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. Jumping into verse 9. Revelation 7, verse 9. John the Revelator, empowered and enabled by the Spirit to see what is not yet, wrote this. After this I looked, Revelation 7 verse 9, I looked and there was a vast multitude, listen, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. You see, that's heaven, and and we're not there yet, but there will come a time when we're standing before the throne Amongst all the redeemed of all the ages, and they're not all going to look like us. No, they're going to be from every nation, tribe, people, and language. God has created this diversity of humanity as a reflection of who he is because we were created in his image. Here's several observations from the passages we've read thus far. Follow along with me, if you will. Number one, when we first started reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, let me just read these again. Verse 16, from now on then we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Sounds a little odd, right? We'll explain that in a second. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in that way. So here's the observation. Being redeemed and in right relationship with God, it brings a new perspective. Follow me there. When you and I are in right relationship with God as a follower of Jesus, we then are able to see things through his eyes, not just our worldly, sinful eyes of flesh. When we get a greater perspective and see from his perspective... Oh, then things look much more clear, and we can see things with greater purpose. We need to see things differently through the eyes of God because we are followers of Jesus. We must see people of all cultures as God sees them. That requires intentional effort on the part of every follower of Jesus, regardless of race, class, or culture. Art, are you in the room? Is Art in the room? No? I loved what Art read about Memorial Day. He talked about Memorial Day 
originating in after Civil War time, and the mandate was to pray for the dead from both sides as a means towards, what, what word did he use? Reconciliation. Say it with me, reconciliation. Yeah. And so reconciliation means that we don't let anything come between us, but we rather put all those things aside and come back together again according to God's plan. So it requires intentionality for us to reach out to people that may be different than us, may speak a different language than us. They may come from a different part of the country than we do. They may, they may come from a different country than we do. They may have different skin color. They may have hair or no hair. doesn't matter. There are lots of people that have a lot of differences than us. Throughout the history of civilization, there have been dominant cultures and minority cultures. And these dynamics have set the stage for all manner of inequities and injustices resulting in the oppression and even the attempted extermination of mass swaths of humanity. See, when we don't see through God's eyes, we might be tempted in our sinful flesh to look at people that are different than us and demonize them. Think that they're less than us, we're more important than they, and begin to make these false, reach these false conclusions, and all that's rooted in our sinful flesh. And throughout the history of, uh, of humanity, that has been the case. And, and, and there have been dominant cultures and minority cultures in every civilization, regardless of race. Sometimes it's by class. By income, all kinds of things. Second observation, turning a blind eye to these harsh realities and incorrectly identifying the root cause for them worsens the problem, perpetuates the problem, increases the divide, and prevents true solutions. Again, we're talking reconciliation here. If we're truly going to be reconciled to one another in humanity, certainly in the body of Christ, but even broader than that, we're called to love all people as God loves them, are we not? We need to realize that prejudicial biases don't find their root in the grace of God. People by nature are naturally drawn to people and cultures that are most like them. There's a term for that sociologists use. It's called homo homogeneity. And homogeneity is not bad in and of itself. Homogeneity is basically when if people like the same food we do and the like, same music we do and the like, same climate that we do, we, we kind of like to hang out together in a tribe. And that's not a bad thing, right? That's not bad. However, homogeneity that leads to isolation and prejudice is not healthy. Can I say that again? When we hang out amongst people who are like us to the point to where we isolate ourselves to only hang out with people that are like us, to the exclusion of anybody that's not like us, that's not healthy. It's not objective in its perspective, nor is it godly in character or value, because that's not what God designs for us to do. He doesn't design for us to hive off 
to be just with people by ourselves. Throughout Scripture, we're commanded to go and tell. And even in the passage today, to be ministers of what, church? Reconciliation. You see, when the gospel has full effect in our lives, not only does it secure our eternal relationship with God, but it also impacts how we love one another. Are you with me? When the gospel has full effect, it drives how we see and relate to one another. You know my native heritage. Hail from the Mattapani tribe here in Virginia. There are many atrocities that took place from a dominant culture to a minority native culture. But I have many native friends who are followers of Jesus that say, none of those atrocities matter in light of the fact that the gospel came to us through those relationships and brought us an understanding of who Jesus was. You see how that works? You understand that? You see, in Jesus, we can look beyond things that are surface to see things at the heart. Are you with me? The gospel, when it takes full effect, radically transforms how we relate to other people, like us and not like us. When the gospel does that, that's called sanctification. Now, parts of culture, when people come to Jesus as a missionary, we have to consider things like this. When I go to a different culture, when I went, when I went to Crow Agency and, and became a missionary to the Crow Indians in Montana back in 1991, the Crow Reservation was not like the Mattapani Reservation. In fact, they reminded me of that when I got there, for they said, hey, you're not Crow, you're here on Crow land, and your, your, your Indian orientation is not ours. And I had to earn my way in in order to be able to share the good news of Jesus. And it took a lot of intentionality and a lot of work. But you know what? It was worth it because I was commissioned and commanded to do that, as are every one of us in this room. You see, we're all commanded to be a part of crossing cultures in order that no one is left out of the hearing of the gospel. If we are truly ambassadors, you know what an ambassador literally does? He goes from where he's from to a place that is not his own to represent the king in the country from which he comes. That's what a true ambassador does. And if we're truly going to be ambassadors, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, it means that we need to get up and we need to go and cross cultures all for the purpose of the ministry of reconciliation. Helping others to be reconciled with God and to be reconciled with one another inside and outside of the body of Christ. As a minister of the gospel, Paul writes about some qualifications for ministers. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, he lists a laundry list, a grocery list of things that if you esteem, if you desire to be an elder or a pastor, these things need to be true of you. Among the things in that list is you need to live a life that's blameless 
to the point to where others that are outside of the body of Christ cannot bring a charge against you and have that have any merit. That doesn't mean I'm perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I am redeemed. And being sanctified more and more every day into the image and character of Jesus Christ. As should be all of us, right? So as I go and share the gospel, as you go and share the gospel and we cross cultures, we go maybe to to trail days and you're ministering to people at trail days that aren't like you. Isn't that right, Shelly? Yeah. Those people aren't like us all the time. They don't have to have different skin color to not be like us. See, reconciliation has more to do with a person's heart and makeup than their skin color. Are you with me? So, let's move on. Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. So, so far we've seen that we have been reconciled to God and given the ministry of reconciliation. God is a creator of cultures. Diversity of peoples is not God's plan B. And now I want us to see that the Great Commission compels us to carry the gospel to all nations. Listen to this. You say to me, Mark, you're asking a lot of me. I, I didn't grow up like that. I grew up in this small community, and we just didn't do a whole lot outside of our community. Okay, I get that. That's cool. But as a follower of Jesus, we're called to go beyond our own communities. And that's what this says. Now, as we look at the command to take the gospel to all peoples, I want you to take comfort. There's some comforting things in here because what we're being asked to do as ministers of reconciliation is not natural. No. It's supernatural. And it requires supernatural power, supernatural presence, And that's what we're promised in the command itself. Matthew 28, Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am always with you to the end of the age. Here's the mission of Jesus. The Great Commission concisely restates the mission of God displayed throughout the grand narrative of Scripture. The disciples' obedience to the commission sparked a movement of spiritual awakening at that time that swept much of the Roman Empire within the first hundred years of its proclamation. God gave the commission originally to the twelve disciples and the others who were with them. And what this statement as an observation of church history, reveals is that when those disciples took the command seriously and they themselves became ambassadors of reconciliation with God, with others, they simply went out preaching. They were a gospel-centered church where everybody was going out and sharing the good news of Jesus. And as a result of that, there was literally a spiritual awakening that swept the land, even in the midst of persecution. You see, they were being killed for their faith, but that didn't stop the proclamation of the gospel. And within a hundred years of the proclamation of the good news of Jesus, much of that whole region 
had heard the gospel of Jesus, many of whom became followers of Jesus, our spiritual ancestors. That's the mission of Jesus, the presence of Jesus. Now, notice this. I'm pulling this a little bit from some of my graduate writing that I did, but I was, I was perplexed and comforted by this realization when I wrote it. Matthew references the posture of Jesus in issuing the final command. The Bible says Jesus came near his disciples when he made the announcement itself. It says he came near to them. His description, Matthew's description of his posture in verse 18 and his proclamation in verse 20 regarding the eternal presence with them allude to Matthew's account in the birth of Jesus. Therein, Matthew quotes the prophecy of Isaiah 7.14 when it says, See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call him what, church? Emmanuel, which means God with us. All church, be encouraged. We have a compelling mandate to make disciples. But we have a Savior who is with us every step of the way. Again, it says when Jesus told them this command, are, do, you like, do you watch football? Yeah. Watch football? What does the quarterback do when he's calling to play? The ball is back here. Their end zone is that way. But he steps this way and puts his back to his opponent so they won't hear. And he says, hey, guys, come in, right? And they call that a, a huddle. So he's huddling his guys. Guys, come in, come in. And Jesus leans in. He leans in and he says, here's the play. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And guys, remember, I will be with you. Break! And they go and they run the play. And we're still running the play today to the glory of God. Amen? That's the play. He came near to them, and he got intimate with them. Oh, I'll never forget when <clears throat> I was pastoring at, at, Upsala, uh, at Central Baptist Church in Lewistown, Montana. Micah was but a toddler, and it was after church one Sunday. I was standing at the back door, greeting people as they left, shaking their hands with Micah in my arm. I was taught by a seminary professor to always have mints in my pocket because nobody likes an evangelist or a preacher with bad breath. I'm just saying. That may be you in the room. Is that you? Can I, can I get a witness? Micah, my very smart son, knew that I always had mints in my pocket. Michael wanted a mint. Michael was somewhere around one and a half, two years old. I'm holding him, I'm shaking hands, we're just having a great time of fellowship, and I'm not listening to my son. Daddy, I want a mint. How are you today? Thank you very much. Have a great one. Daddy, I want a mint. Well, I wasn't listening to my son. And so what he did is he took his two little hands, and he put them on my cheeks, and he pulled me up real close to his face and said, Daddy, I want a mint. (laughs) 
priceless times. Jesus is pulling us in. He's leaning in and he's saying, here's the play and I'm going to be with you. And he is. This thing of reconciliation, you know what? This past week when I was sitting in that conference, I got a little uncomfortable. Because there are several things that were said that I frankly didn't agree with. There were other things that I knew were right, just didn't make me feel real good. Because it made me go back and evaluate my values, my assumptions, and my behaviors. And as a result of that evaluation, that quite honestly is still going on this morning. It is making me have more of a perspective that God has than what I have in my sinful flesh. Somebody say I'm with you. Jesus is with us. Also the authority of Jesus. The first utterance of Jesus referenced in is his authority. When he was giving the Great Commission, he said, I have all power. Literally, Jesus proclaimed to possess all authority. Jesus further clarified the immensity of his authority by referring to the limitless boundaries of heaven and earth. He told them of his absolute authority, reminding them of the mission he modeled before them, and assured them of his enduring presence. One commentator writes, Jesus' universal power and perpetual presence provide the dynamic for Jesus' universal discipleship mandate. They can accomplish their present responsibilities only if they reflect on the past empowerment and the future presence of their Lord. Scripture and church historians both record that disciples ultimately possess the faith and boldness to proclaim the gospel in the face of hostility, even to the point of death. You see, these first recipients of this mandate, they were encouraged by what Jesus said, both by his presence and the fact that he was the one who had, in fact, all authority. Not just a little, all. Heaven and earth. He had it all. And the one who has it all is the one who's calling the play. And he said, I'm the one that's going to be with you. So not only is there this witness, but the guy who is with us is a guy who has all authority. So it gives me more confidence to do what I can't do by myself. You know what? I get scared sometimes to go and tell somebody about Jesus. That's the attack of the enemy. It's a, it's a favorite ploy of his. Every time God says, go and share Jesus with this person, oh, immediately you always hear this other voice that says, oh, they're going to hate you. Oh, they're going to reject you. Oh, they're going to spit in your face. They're going to cuss at you. They're going to slap your face. They're, they're going to get up and walk out. They're going to think you're stupid. And there's this other incessant stream of communication from the enemy Oh, but Jesus, he's with us. 
He's the one that has all authority. And they were actually able to, this first century group of disciples, they took such heart in that, they were even able to face down death and not bow the knee to those who said, reject your faith. You know, my heart is troubled today because I'm reading accounts of the persecution of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world whose culture is, in fact, not like ours. In China, there's a renewed persecution of Christians. They're blowing up church buildings. Are you seeing this in the news? In Burkina Faso, there are militants who are going around and literally killing Christians and burning church buildings and villages everywhere. There are people who are dying for their faith. Because Jesus is enough. Let me say that again. There are people who are dying for their faith because Jesus is enough. And we can trust him with our eternal soul. And when he asks us to do things that are beyond our ability, like love somebody that's a little different than me, even love somebody that's been my sworn enemy, I even need to love them too. How to try that for reconciliation? But that's all in the scope of it. Here's the Holy Spirit empowers us to cross cultures. Look at this with me real quickly. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Matthew, Mark, Luke describe the baptism of Jesus in their gospel accounts. Jesus' baptism marks the beginning of his public ministry. They each report.